All right, we're in the book of Acts, and so we encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chair in front of you. It's very, very important that you get used to a Bible, your Bible, as we see times are changing and Christianity is being attacked very aggressively. Uh, You need to know what the Word says, not what does the pastor say. Hopefully the pastor is going to confirm what the Word says. If he doesn't, then find another church. But you don't ever want to say, my pastor says. You want to be able to say, well, the Bible says. Because your friends don't really care about your pastor. They want somebody, they want authority. They want authority. And when you start quoting the Bible, and you do it very confidently, because you know it, not just head knowledge, it's in your heart, they're going to see that, they're going to sense that, and that's going to impact their lives. And so it's very, very important. And what I'm going to share about this morning, uh, last week we went through four verses. This morning we're going to go through one verse. Woohoo! This is Calvary Chapel. And so, uh, but it's doctrine. It's very, very important. Uh, there's many times where we're going to read a chapter and a half on a Sunday morning because of the way Acts is set up. But this morning we're going to touch on a very important doctrine. What Calvary believes is baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, in a group this size, um, I know that you come from di- various denominations, backgrounds, uh, up, you know, the way you were raised, and so that's fine. But I encourage you to sift everything through the Word of God, and not just, well, my church didn't believe that. Again, what did you say? My church didn't believe that. Well, I'm not really concerned about your church or my church. I'm concerned about the Word of God. And so you always want to run everything through the Word of God, and if you need to do some deprogramming, because this little hard drive takes in a lot of information. Uh, some of it is not pertinent. Some of it is. You want to then debug the program and go, wow, I didn't realize that or I had my opinion on that. Now that makes more sense because the Bible says. And that's what we encourage you to do here, to be Bereans, to make sure that you're reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation every day on a regular basis, devotionally, not out of duty, not because the pastor says to do it, but because you have a devotional life. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we're just going to continue in our worship of you by surrendering these next few moments in eternity to your love letter. You love us. You love humanity. And you love your church. And you desire your church to be mature. And so, Father, I just pray for the gift of teaching. And that our hearts would be open to your word and the doctrines found within your word. That we'd be found practicing doctrinal truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Help our minds to be focused. Help us to lay aside the presuppositional thinking that we all have. To hear what your Holy Spirit would teach us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, the book of Acts, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Chapter 1, verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments, notice that, not suggestions, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering or after his crucifixion by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. You'll remember as you do your reading that they were up in the Galilee. They were spread out. They were dispersed. They were together. They broke apart again. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay together. You'll see why. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which, Jesus said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Matter of fact, 10 days. We know the rest of the story. It was going to be 10 days. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3.11, it says this. John the Baptist says, I indeed baptized you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It appears to me in the scriptures that there are two distinct baptisms that should take place in the life of every believer. One being the baptism of water, and I know even some Christians have yet to be baptized in water. You need to be baptized in water, not for salvation. It is not a salvation issue, but read Romans chapter 6. There is a spiritual principle to water baptism, a very, very important principle. So if you have not been watered baptized, you're basically limiting what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. That's just the word of God. So please read your Bibles and read specifically Romans chapter 6. And the other being baptism of the Holy Spirit. One baptism brings us into identifying with the risen Savior and the death of our old nature called the flesh. The other baptism gives us a supernatural ability, a supernatural ability to live out that death sentence. For most Christians, if you ask them, what does it mean to die to self and how do you crucify yourself? They would have no clue of what you're probably talking about. That's a typical Christian. I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean crucify myself? Which Jesus spoke of, and he mentioned, he told this to his disciples, you need to die daily, die daily to you and to your selfish needs. So, upon, and it is a Greek word epe, which means upon or over, and I'm not a Greek scholar, you all can look this up yourselves. As I mentioned last week, the disciples had already received the Holy Spirit on the evening of the resurrection, John chapter 20, verse 21. Forty days later, what is Jesus saying? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. The Holy Spirit's in them, E-N or I-N. Yet they were not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power in the Greek is dunamis, which means strength or ability. And this is where I personally believe many, many Christians fall short. Many Christians fall short, and it's typically because the way they were raised in the denomination that they were raised in. They limit the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like we can limit God. We put God in our little box, because as we were growing up, we were told, well, God can't do this, and God can't do that, and you need to do your own things, and God helps those who help themselves. Uh, what verse? Is, is, that a, is that a verse in the Bible anywhere? Nowhere in the Bible. 
But if you told that enough times, that sinks into the mind, sinks into the subconscious. And okay, you know, God could help me, but I really need to do this myself. No, that's not biblical. Matter of fact, Jesus said you can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing. Those are the words of Christ. So who knows more, the religion or your parents or the word of God and Jesus? I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer. But yet that's the way many Christians live, without power. I just can't get over this. I just I need counseling. I'm not bashing counseling. I counsel. I need programs. Not bashing programs. Programs are very good. I need this. I need that. Are you reading your Bible? No. Are you memorizing scripture? No. Are you meditating on scripture? No. What are you doing? What what do you think is going to help you? The word of God. The word of God is what helps us. And those other things can be beneficial. I've even had people come into my office and tell me, you know, I'm an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. When was the last time you had a drink? 26 years ago. And you're still an alcoholic? Grow up, man. You're not an alcoholic. Grow up. You're a believer in Christ. You don't need a program. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And so, guys, that's just reality in our own lives. We need more of the Holy Spirit. You see, at this point in Acts, Jesus is about ready to ascend back to his heavenly throne, and he knows that his disciples are living in fear. This is the disciples, the early church. Fear of who? Fear of the religious elite. They were up in a room. They were in Galilee. They were here. They were there. Now they're in the upper room, and they're still afraid of the religious elite. They're afraid of the Romans. They're afraid of the Jews who had recently witnessed the crucifixion of the supposable Messiah. They were saying, hey, Jesus is a Messiah. Really? The Messiah got crucified? No. No, he did. no. we're going to crucify you too if you don't shut up. So Jesus gives them a clear instruction as well as a command. And again, a lot of times in Christianity when we read our Bibles, we think of these things as suggestions commands. Jesus gave his disciples commands. Very important when you read your Bible, notice that. Go and wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, question, why did they need this baptism of the Holy Spirit anyways? Was it so that they could have Christian gatherings and get Holy Spirit goosebumps? Was that what it was for? Or was it so they could have venues and they could encourage others to come and get healed of their infirmities? Was that what it was for? Or was the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower them to go out and witness about their risen Savior? This is the answer, which we'll get to in Acts chapter 2. The Bible confirms this. This isn't just my theology. This is the Word of God. The Bible confirms this. Ten days from now, they're going to bolt out of the upper room and 3,000 people are going to come to receive Jesus as their Savior. Why it wasn't happening in the last 50 days? Because they didn't have the power. They had the Holy Spirit in them, E-N. The Holy Spirit did not come upon them. Again, we'll keep building on this. The last question is obviously the correct answer. But it's not so obvious in the day that we live in. It appears to me anyways, and I've been in Christianity for 41 years, that the Holy Spirit has become a spiritual sensation of sorts, and is to be used to hype up the believer. But that is not the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. 
As we studied last week, the Holy Spirit was going to come to baptize the disciples with, again, power to witness about the truth. Power to witness about the truth. I guess we got a car. Alarm is sounding. Whose white Ford Explorer is that? Your battery will be dead in 30 minutes. <laughs> if that's your vehicle, feel free to get up. No embarrassment. Jim, you want to go on to the next slide? With power to witness about the truth. This is very, very important. Power to witness about the truth. Remember last week we looked up some verses and the Spirit, Holy Spirit's going to come and lead us into all truth and we're to take that truth, not just here in these walls, but you and I are to go out. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we're to go out into our workplaces and minister the truth, speak the truth in love, Ephesians says. With power to witness about the truth found within God's word to both Jew and Gentile. Which, by the way, the early church didn't do. They only went to the Jews initially. They had to debug the program. You see, as we continue in our study of Acts over the next few months, we are going to see that those in the early church were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The believers would go out and testify of Jesus, which would lead to persecution. They will then gather and pray, which will bring forth comfort and power. They would then go back to the scriptures. This is key for you and I. As we are persecuted, we shouldn't be surprised that the world is going to persecute us. And as we start this whole political thing, once again, whatever happens at the end of next year, 2020, whoever gets in office could change a lot of things for Christianity. Persecution is really, really good for the church, by the way. They would go back to the scriptures to establish their faith even more and then go out and testify of Jesus again. It was the scriptures that gave them that authority to go out. You see, but it all started, as we will see in Acts chapter 2, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to do such a work, persecution will take place. I have no doubt that I'll probably have a prison ministry one day. But that's okay I'll gather with others for prayer in prison. I won't be alone. Not at all. Let's look at Acts chapter 8. Because in thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the first question that would come into my mind would be, do we see a scriptural way in which to receive this baptism if there is such a baptism? Well, again, it's important to just go back to the scriptures. Acts chapter 8 verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, in other words, they had received Jesus as their savior. The Holy Spirit came in them and they were water baptized. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had not fallen upon none of them. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Notice again, two distinct situations. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, here's the key. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The laying on of hands. Let's continue to build that. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Verses 1 through 6. 
And again, as I teach this, this is not a salvation issue. So if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. No issues. But I'm not going to argue with you about it or try to convince you. I'm just sharing with you what I have learned and what has ministered to me personally in my life for 41 years. Acts 19, 1 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him and whom who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. I personally see two distinct baptisms in those verses, a water baptism and a spiritual baptism. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy, a young pastor, needs some encouragement. But we also see something very interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, Notice that for you and me as believers today in 2019 in word, in conduct. So what we say should match up with the Bible in our conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Really good little list there for 2019, isn't it? Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Notice that. Timothy, a young pastor, doctrine is very, very important. As we see the church, the big C, not the big Calvary, but the big C, the big church, various denominations that proclaim their Christians falling under the banner of Christianity, going to the ecumenical movement and say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. That doctrine doesn't matter. We're going to be one. No, doctrine matters. Doctrine matters very, very much. Who Jesus is. Uh, I had a meeting this past week. And talking with some other pastors about the Mormons and how the Mormons want to become uh, united with Christians. I don't know why. This wasn't happening 15, 20 years ago. But now they really want to be accepted by you. They want you to say, hey, we're the same. We worship the same God. Don't ever say that because they don't. Jesus is not the spirit brother of Lucifer. And that's their doctrinal belief. Not bashing Mormonism, we don't bash religions, but let's be mature enough to talk doctrine. That is their doctrinal belief. They believe Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Lucifer is an angel, so that would make Jesus an angel. Uh, no. No, Jesus is God. Amen. And not one of many gods, he is the son of God. Don't be afraid to say that. You're not bashing anybody. You're just speaking the truth in love. We don't want to love anybody to hell. Oh, yeah, we worship the same God. You go to your ward and I'll go to my church and I'm going to heaven, but you go to hell. No. Is that Christian? No. We don't want to love anybody to hell. We want to be loving enough to tell them, no, your doctrine is wrong. 
Do not neglect. So here's the key. Verse 14. 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Notice that. Notice that. And as you, if you read your Bible, which I encourage you to do, you're going to find out that every single believer, every single believer has a spiritual gift. You have at least one spiritual gift. Every single believer, according to the word of God, do you know what your gift is? That's the first question. Do you know what your gift is? Secondly, are you using that gift? Are you using that gift? If you're not using that gift, then you need to find out what that gift is, and you need to come up and ask for the laying on of hands of the eldership so that you can receive the power to use that gift. Look at 2 Timothy 1.6. 2 Timothy 1.6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Again, here we're seeing a doctrine, I believe, laid out. Again, this is not a salvation issue. So if you don't believe in this, it's not, that, that's fine. That's fine. We're not going to argue. It's just what I believe. I believe what the scriptures t- say here is showing me this. That's great. You don't? That's fine. It's not a big deal. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2. We'll wrap it up with these verses. When I say it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal to me. I will not argue with you. But I'll let the rest of the study, I have some things at the end of the study that might help you realize that it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. And the word perfection there is completeness or maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Notice that. Not baptism. But plural, not singular, plural. What other doctrine? The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So there appears to me, anyways, to be a principle of laying on of hands in the scriptures, praying specifically for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Could this happen at any time? Obviously, God is not restricted by man. But his word does give us this pattern for a reason. So I believe that it's important to ask the elders of the church to lay hands on the believer and to pray specifically for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So another question might be, because maybe you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're not walking like you have been, and so you think, I need to get rebaptized. No, you don't. No, you don't. Again, I believe it's a spiritual time that you can reference back to and say, that's when I... Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I had the elders pray over me. What is Paul doing to Timothy? He's reminding him. Is he saying, do it again? Is Paul saying, hey, it didn't, it didn't stick. Timothy, you're not acting the way you should be acting. Go get hands laid on you again. He's not saying that. He's telling Timothy, remember, remember, recall. Get back to what you know is true. Much like the date of your water baptism. Do you need to get water baptized over and over and over again? No. We went to Israel in March. Almost everyone on the bus got baptized. We were The, the place was kicking us out. I, I was praying too slow. But it was wonderful. And it's like, 
I got baptized in the Jordan. I didn't need to be. It was just like, wow, we're at the Jordan. I'm going to get rebaptized. But you don't need to be. It's not a doctrine where you need to get rebaptized. But if you want to, you can do it. So I'm just sharing with you some doctrines here. You just remember the date because the enemy is going to whisper things into your mind. And this is one of the big ones that I've heard many, many times over the decades. I prayed. I got hands laid on me back in 1978 when I received Christ as my Savior. And I received the gift of tongues. And I practiced the gift of tongues. Now, if you do it according to the Bible, you don't do it on a Sunday morning in church above everybody else because the Bible says don't do that. You'd practice it when there's nothing but believers. And even then, if someone speaks out over and above everybody else, then the service stops and we wait for an interpretation. The interpretation will always come through someone else, not yourself. If there is no interpretation, then there's no more speaking out in the gift of tongues. But so many times, people will come up and they'll ask to get rebaptized, and as I'm talking to them, they haven't been using their gift. You don't need to get rebaptized, you just need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock, Jesus said. That's your problem. You're focusing on yourself, or you've gotten into sin, and you've gotten away from the power, the doomness of the Holy Spirit, because you're walking in the flesh, and you think you need to get rebaptized. You don't need to get rebaptized. You need to get back to the truth. And start practicing and using your gift of tongues. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I venture to say there's some people in this room this morning that have the gift of tongues and you haven't been using it. For whatever reason, you believe the lie of the enemy. You believe the lie of other Christians. You feel humiliated or it doesn't work. It's not, it's a joke. Let me share with you my personal testimony a little bit more. I've never received the gift of, of interpretation. I have no idea what I'm saying. Jesus said, receive the faith as a little child. I receive it as a little child. And I'm and as you read the scriptures, specifically tongues, and I have to emphasize this because so many people get hung up on this. When you speak in tongues, you are speaking between you and God. It's the only gift that is for self-edification as you read the scriptures. It's the only gift that is for self-edification. And so I don't care. I just want to be right with God. And I want whatever God wants to give me. And if he doesn't give me the gift of interpretation, that's fine with me. I'm going to pray in my tongue. And I'm going to pray between God and me, not to show any of you, not to show off, none of that nonsense. But I can tell you this, in my 41 years of using that gift of tongues, I have power that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I'm not talking about Christian fiction. Power! I'm talking... Power, inner peace, wisdom that I would have never gotten apart from the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is real. This is real Christianity. This might be new to some of you. It might be foreign to some of you. But this is real. We're seeing it. And so it's very important for you as a believer to trust in the word of God. You know, another question might come into my mind is, will I feel any different after I get prayed for? You know, you might have a feeling or a sensation come over you. You might not. We don't believe in being slain in the spirit. So uh, you'll watch Christian fiction and people will come up for prayer. I'm getting a hot flash, so I'm turning down the air conditioner. And so um, I'm going through menopause. I don't know why I'm going through it, but I'm going through it. And so 
Um, we don't believe in slain in the Holy Spirit. It's not a doctrine. You won't find it in the Bible. The only time you find it is Ananias and Sapphira, and we don't want to kill people here in the sanctuary. So we don't believe in slaying in the Spirit. So if you fall backwards, we're not going to catch you. We will pray for the gift of healing, though. <laughs> because I do have oil. Uh-huh. Yeah, I carry it with me wherever I go. I encourage you to carry oil with you wherever you go. Anoint the sick with oil, the Bible says. So we will pray for you. A feeling is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. This is so important, guys. The fact that you prayed for the baptism is. You have to go back to the facts, not your feelings. A question about feelings or sensations. Do all people have a sensation or a supernatural experience when they become born again? Some people do, others do not. I don't know the exact date that I became born again. But the facts of the word say that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Now, Jesus did tell us that you will know a tree by its fruit, and a Christian tree will produce the fruit of the Spirit. You see, as we study the word, we see that a person who is allowing his life to be ruled by the Holy Spirit, to be ruled by the Holy Spirit, will have victory over sin in their lives. So if you are dealing with an issue in your life, I can guarantee you one of the things you need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to rule over your life. Well, how do I do that? By being in the Word of God, by being in prayer, by being around other believers, coming to a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, all those practical things. There will also be a desire to witness about the risen Christ. That is a transformation that we're going to see take place in the life of the disciples. You see, it's not necessarily the power to speak in tongues, as many churches emphasize, although that could happen. There are churches under the banner of Christianity, just so you know, and you may have come out of a church like this, where when you pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to pray in tongues. If you do not pray in tongues, then you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will not find that in the scriptures. Then there are other churches under the banner of Christianity that say tongues are of the devil. And if you speak in tongues, especially if you don't know what you're speaking, you're being used of the devil. Oh, grow up, would you please? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. But yet, this is under the banner of Christianity. That's why you need to read from Genesis to Revelation. Again, but in Acts, we're going to see that the main emphasis is to show the love of Christ by witnessing about Jesus and his resurrection. Water baptism was initiated by John. Again, we're going to talk about doctrine here and confirmed by Jesus. And I believe that this is our first baptism or physical baptism that was and is performed by man, by man. Jesus instructed his disciples accordingly in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's churches under the banner of Christianity that say you need to be only baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus only movement. That there is no Father, there is no Son. I may be going way over your head for some of you, but you got to study to show yourself approved because there are people in Queen Creek that go to those churches. There is no Father and there's no Holy Spirit, just the Son. It's called Jesus only. And if you weren't baptized in Jesus' only name, then you weren't baptized, you're going to hell. Oh, thanks for that information. Glad you didn't know that. 
So what we do here at church is we baptize in the name of Jesus, and then when I baptize you, I take you under in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just cover all the bases. That way it just eliminates that problem. Never have a discussion again. Crazy. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was taught by Jesus and initiated by God the Father alone. Acts 1.8. Here's some scriptures for you. Please write them down. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit's already come in them. The night of the resurrection. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice that. You shall be witnesses to me. To me. Because John fifteen twenty six says this. But when the whole helper comes, whom we know as the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send you from the Father, not from the elders, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And there you see the triunity of the Godhead in that verse. Now, someone might have a question on these verses in Ephesians 5, 4, 3 through 5. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, so one body of the church, one Spirit, one Holy Spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Aha! You might say to me, aha, there it is, one baptism. You always want to take the context from the text, and in the text, what is the context? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I think the above verses show us that there is a baptism that is given by the Father that makes the body of Christ one. And there is a baptism that is recognized by man yet has the possibilities to cause division. How do I know that? I read my Bible. 1 Corinthians 1.11 says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of Chloe, by those of Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Now I say that each of us, each of you says, now notice what's happening here. I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I'm of Peter, or I'm of Jesus. Remember what we talked about in communion? What is the early church doing? Separation. Well, who baptized you? Well, Apollos baptized me. I'm of Apollos. Who baptized you? <laughs> Apollos. Apollos. God, who's Apollos? I was baptized by Paul. Ooh, you were baptized by Paul. Who were you baptized by? Well, I was baptized by Jesus. No. Wow. <laughs> Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Water baptism brought division. Baptism in the Holy Spirit brings unity. And it's kind of interesting as you read the Gospels. Do you know how many people Jesus baptized? According to the Gospel, Jesus baptized zero people. So if you need to be baptized to be saved, you got a real problem because Jesus didn't baptize anybody. He says his disciples baptized. Just food for thought. Check the scriptures. You see, there are certain churches today that have the same philosophy that if you're not water baptized by their church, then you cannot become a member of that church or denomination. 
Some will even go so far to say that if you're, that you're not even saved because you haven't been water baptized into their church. That is obviously not the truth and causes what? Division. Division and not unity. So, in thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are denominations slash pastors that proclaim that there is no such thing and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit died with the apostles. They believe that when a person gets saved, that they receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are many scriptures that address asking for more of the Holy Spirit, and that's a different study that we'll eventually get to in Acts. But we are called to ask and seek and knock for more of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. That's what Jesus said in Luke. We'll get to those. But about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I do believe that these pastors and these denominations love Jesus. And and they're entitled to their opinion. Again, I will not argue with any of them. But I would like to ask them a simple question. Where's the witnessing power of your denomination? Where's the witnessing power of your denomination? Or of the individual believer? Where's the power in the life of the believer? Again, I wouldn't argue about baptism of the Holy Spirit with them. Because it's not a salvation issue. But again, I also know from personal experience that it's real. It's real. And it does play a very important role in my life. I wouldn't be able to get up here on a Sunday morning and teach the Word of God if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't rely upon my power. I don't rely upon my studying. I don't rely upon my memory. Praise God. That would be disaster. I rely upon the Word of God and I rely upon the Holy Spirit. What are you relying upon? If the Holy Spirit is confirming in your heart as the music team comes forward, if the Holy Spirit is confirming in your heart this teaching, it's not about me and it's not about my teaching. I'm just presenting the word to you guys. And you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You might be 20, 30, 40 years in the Lord and you've never asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. Come forward. The elders, we have various elders up here that are going to be praying for you individually for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a principle. Again, don't come forward for an experience. This is not about having an experience, but rather out of obedience. Now, be a Berean. If you need to further study this issue, by all means do so. Take the scriptures I've mentioned and search for more evidence in the word. And I think you'll come to the same conclusion that Calvary has. This is not my doctrine. This is a Calvary Chapel doctrine. And we'll have the elders available every week for prayer. Every week. If what I've taught this morning is doctrinally true, I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit will confirm that in your own heart. It's between you and God. But again, I just want to encourage you, if you've never asked for that gift, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then come forward after the service, and ask for that. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior this morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer as the saints are praying. And if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, you might be thinking, this doesn't make sense at all. It will never make sense apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You as an unbeliever, you as an unbeliever, You have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. I would never understood the Bible and I didn't understand the Bible even though I was going to church every Sunday and they were reading the Bible every Sunday. I had no clue 
because I didn't have the Holy Spirit within me. I could not discern it. Once I accepted Jesus as my Savior, the Holy Spirit came within me, and then I started to understand the Bible. So don't be surprised if you're here this morning and you just go, I don't get any of this. First question, do you have Jesus as your Savior? Do you have Jesus as your Savior? If you say no, then accept him, and then it will start to make sense. So if you'd like to receive Jesus, just pray this simple prayer with me. It's not about the prayer, it's about your heart. If you're willing to acknowledge, as most of us have in this room, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then just pray this simple prayer. God, I am a sinner. And there's no way I can get to heaven because sin cannot stand in your presence. So God, I need a Savior. It's that simple. I'll never be good enough. No religion will ever make me good enough. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. So God, right now, I ask, Jesus to come into my life. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. He died for me, for all of my sins. So I say thank you for the free gift of salvation. I invite Jesus into my life by faith. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life by faith. I don't understand how this all works. But I am going to trust you that you, Father, will show me through your Bible, through your word, what I'm doing right now. I accept it by faith of a little child. And I say thank you that I can now call you Father. My Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, may we remember those of us who have laid aside that baptism of the Holy Spirit. May we remember that day, that that season, and by faith, by faith, Allow your Holy Spirit to move once again. Those That gift that was given with the laying on of hands 10, 20, 30 years ago that, that we put on the shelf. Father, through your Holy Spirit, help us to, to take that off the shelf. To walk in childlike faith. 
that we might have the power that you've given, freely given to us to overcome any sin that the enemy might try to tempt us with. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Fill us, Father, afresh and anew for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys, for a closing song? And again, if you would like to be have the elders pray for you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, please come forward after the song. If you just accepted Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything else, please come up. We'd love to pray for you guys. God bless you. Have a great week.